And those of us who are here, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. This morning, I hope you've enjoyed the music this morning. I hope you've enjoyed singing and listening to those who've worked hard and prepared. I hope that you could, maybe you didn't know the song the choir was singing, but I hope you, as they made their way through and sang it this morning, I hope that you picked up on the message and that you were able to echo in your heart that your hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there is nothing at all in man's religion that can save a person. And I personally think that the devil loves religion. But uh, there is such a thing as a pure religion that's undefiled, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, dying for us on the cross and being raised from the dead and then living in those who believe upon him and living his life through those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the only pure religion there is. And uh, there is no other religion. There is... No religion that saves a man it is only in Jesus Christ himself. In Romans, and we're not studying through the book of Romans at this point in, in church, but uh, I do want to look at Romans chapter 6. When we come to Romans 6, it really is a chapter of climax in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul, in the chapters prior to chapter 6, he really has taken the first five chapters and he's announced that by the wonderful grace of God, all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are made righteous in him. And now he comes to chapter 6 and he tells us that we need to live up to what we've been saved to live. He says we need to live the way we've been saved. And really, I think couched right in the middle of chapter 6 is a wonderful description of God's salvation for mankind. And there's a wonderful illustration of that. And the illustration is baptism. In fact, the word baptism is found several times in chapter 6. He's talking about a spiritual baptism, not so much a water baptism. At the end of our service here this morning, there are two people who are going to be baptized. One person who's being baptized is a young girl, Elena Chapman. And, um, and then there's a lady, Andrea Fralick, who's going to be baptized as well. And so it's going to be an illustration for us this morning of this spiritual truth that we see in Romans chapter 6. What does water baptism symbolize? Why is it that we baptize people in water? Why is it that both of these ladies, one young and, and one, I don't know how old you are, Andrea, I won't guess, but Andrea's young still, but she's a young mom. Why would these ladies come up and uh, go into a tub of water and allow me to push them underneath the water. I mean, it doesn't do anything for our hair, right? <clears throat> so why is it that we do this water baptism thing? And Romans 6 actually tells us what water baptism pictures. 
So water baptism has never saved anybody. Last Friday, this last Friday, I had the privilege of sitting next to a man named John, and John grew up in a Lutheran church, and he taught at the Lutheran school for 30 years. And a couple of years ago, John came to the understanding that he needed to be born again. And uh, John told me on Friday that he was actually fired from the Christian school, the Lutheran school that he'd taught at for 20 or 30 years. He was fired because he was telling some eighth graders that they too needed to be born again and that they couldn't depend upon the sprinkling that had happened in the Lutheran church when they were a child. And in that religion, the teaching is if you're sprinkled, and they call it baptism, but they, if you're sprinkled, then you are, they would say, baptized into the church, and therefore you are saved because you're a member of that religion. And I was able to talk with John and rejoice with him and how God's opening his eyes and he's seeing the truth. And I was able to tell him that salvation is not found in the Lutheran church or Roman Catholicism or a Baptist church. Salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So what does it mean, though, when a believer is baptized? What, is, what does baptism mean to you is a good question. I imagine if I asked you to come and stand and tell me, tell all of us, what does baptism mean to you? What, what would you tell people? What would you say? So what does the Bible say about baptism? That really is what we ought to care about. The word baptism uh, is an English word that we got from a Greek word. The Greek word is baptizo, and we didn't have an English word for that word, and so we, came, we created a word in our English language to closely resemble the Greek word baptizo, and bap, you can hear it, baptizo, baptism, and we get our word, English word baptism from that. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told his disciples to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So, so we do that, and we'll do that this morning. But again, why baptize? What does water baptism picture? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people plus trusted Christ as their Savior. They believed upon Him, and they were baptized in water. 3,000. That would be a longer service than one hour. The Ethiopian eunuch believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and then was baptized. You remember he, he asked Philip, what doth hinder me from being baptized? There's water. What, what would keep me from being baptized? And you remember Philip telling him, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you may. Baptism doesn't save anybody. Water baptism doesn't. The Philippian jailer was baptized in his whole house. Water baptism is simply an outward picture, an illustration of a, an inward reality, a spiritual reality that has taken place. Oftentimes, as we go through this life, especially as Americans, I think, in our society, we view reality as what we can see and what we can grab and touch and do. And then there's the spiritual, as if it's less real. Look at our text, Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read... Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse number 14, and then we're going to make our way through the passage, and we're going to look at some glorious truths in this passage. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul asks a question. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a great question. Should we continue living our lives sinfully in sin so that 
God, who is gracious, will continue to give more grace. And he says in verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now this term baptized is going to come up several times, so I want to give you a definition for it. It means to immerse or to plunge. So sprinkling is not baptism. Pouring water on top of someone is not baptism. By definition, the word means to plunge or to immerse or to submerse. He says in verse number 4, Therefore we are buried with him, with Jesus, by baptism into death, by immersion into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, our old man, the one who hated God, the one who loved sin and was a slave to sin, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, the strength of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, Reckon, and that's an accounting term. It means to do the math. How many of you like math? Okay, not many. Do the math. Analyze this. Do the, look at the numbers. And he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." Sin shall not have dominion over you. One truth that I think often is not connected to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that truth that I just read to you. Sin, because he he overcame the sin, our sin that he took upon himself, because he overcame the grave and death, you and I are not in bondage to sin anymore. Now, every one of us here still sin. Every one of us still sins in this room. But we are not under the bondage of sin anymore. We don't have to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word. I pray that bits and pieces of this passage will become alive to our hearts this morning. And Father, I pray that a result of your word and your Holy Spirit and the resurrected Christ, 
lives within us. Father, I pray that our lives will be more pleasing in your sight. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to... One of the things the choir sang just before I got up to preach was they were talking about there's going to come a day where we stand before the Lord and we're each going to stand before him. We who are born again are going to stand before him at a time of reward, to be rewarded for how we lived our lives in this life. Did we live it uh, yielded to his Holy Spirit or did we live our lives in disobedience to his Holy Spirit? There's another time of judgment where people will stand before the Lord, and that is a time of not reward, but it's a time of judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And every person who has rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, rejected his salvation, and, and, and put their faith and trust in themselves, those individuals are also going to stand before the Lord. And it's a place of judgment. And those folks will be cast, the Bible says, into a place called hell for all of eternity. But thinking with me about the place of reward, those of us who are standing there before Christ will only be there standing before Christ because we are found in him. And the song talked about that, that, that we would be found in Christ. And this passage is all about that. And so my question is, what do we have in Christ? How have we benefited from his death. How have you and I benefited from his resurrection? I mean, we celebrate his resurrection. We're celebrating uh, that Christ overcame death, that Christ overcame the grave, right? We're celebrating that. But practically, how have we benefited from that? And this passage talks about that. Water baptism pictures it. First of all, I want to notice in verse number three this morning, that everyone who believes upon Jesus Christ for salvation is baptized into Christ. I didn't say water baptized. He's talking about a spiritual baptism here. But everybody who has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the very moment they believed upon Christ, they were baptized or immersed into Christ. Now, I could ask you the question, are you in Christ? And if you're saved... If you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've received Christ as your Savior, He is in you, and you are in Him. You, there, it's hard to tell where you, um, where you end and He begins. Okay, Because you're in Christ. Now, again, it's a little beyond how we normally think. Look at verse number 3. He says, know ye not, or he asks this question, know ye not that so many of us as were immersed or baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized, were immersed into his death? Now when we see the word baptized, again, we immediately think of water. But Paul's not talking about water baptism in chapter 6. Water baptism is just an outward picture of this glorious spiritual truth in Romans chapter 6. Paul's not talking about water baptism. Again, the word baptizo, to baptize means to immerse or to plunge. And so what he's saying is, don't you know that when you were saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were immersed into Christ? You, You are now found in him? Now, that's a hard truth, isn't it? It, it, Our brains are kind of locking up here and there. I can see some of you are going cross-eyed, you know. 
And it's a challenging truth, I admit that. But it's not so difficult that we can't understand it. We say to our children sometimes, kids, don't bother daddy, he's immersed in his work. Sometimes people are immersed in grief. They become one, it's one and the same, just totally overwhelmed with grief. Sometimes people get overwhelmed with ecstasy or joy. You know, when Michigan beats Michigan State. (laughs) Or Ohio State. We don't even know what that's like anymore, right? (laughs) And you watch the fans in the stands just going crazy. They haven't done anything. They've just shown up and stayed warm. They haven't done a thing, right? But they are identifying with those players on the field. It's funny, sometimes, and we have some graduates here of Michigan State. We have a, a graduate of Michigan, too couple of Michigan. Um, none of these graduates played for those respective universities, but there's an identification that takes place. I always find it interesting when those of us who didn't go to either university, we begin to identify with the team. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk with each other about a, a game afterward, and I always find it interesting when we start referring to, yeah, we, we really had a rough game. We just, we just couldn't bring it together and, uh, yeah, we, we just kept turning the ball over. We couldn't defend a thing, you know. We couldn't stop. And I'm, I'm saying, we? Who's we? Were you out there? See, we, 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 can, we can understand this. We can understand this truth. It's not that hard. So when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were immersed into Christ. Paul's saying you've been plunged into Christ. That's what he says at the beginning of verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ, were immersed, were baptized into his death. See, Christianity is not just a religion where people give mental assent to certain facts. It's a uniting of Jesus Christ and those who believe upon him. Not those who put their faith in a religion not those who put their faith in men, those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, John the Apostle, the beloved of Christ, said, and this is the record, this is the legal binding document, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life, this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so you either have Christ or you do not. And if you have Christ, then you have, you are the possessor of eternal life. Because Christ is life. But if you do not have Christ, you do not have eternal life. You do not have life at all. You have a physical life that is an existence. uh, Going through this life, and it's so temporary, and it's so fleeting, and it's so here now, and gone tomorrow, and healthy now, and not healthy tomorrow. You see, Jesus Christ came that you and I might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly, to its fullest, as God intended it. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Really what Paul was saying was the, you're seeing life in me and you're saying there's life in you. And Paul's saying it's not my life that you're seeing, it's Christ's life in me. 
It's Christ living through me. That's the truth. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul writes again, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live, for to me to live is Christ. Can you say that this morning? For to me, it's, 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 it's gain to die. For me to die would be to go be with the Lord for all of eternity, and to rule and reign with him for all of eternity. There is, no, there is no loss in death for a child of God. There is no loss. There is only gain. But Paul could say, as long as I'm living on this life, on this earth, and I'm abiding in Christ, for to me to live on this earth is for the Lord Jesus Christ to live his life through me on this earth. And I, I tell you this before, I, I mention it on a regular basis, but it is my fervent desire for Cindy and for me as we seek to be an example for our children, to train them up in the way that they should go, that we would not just raise or train up our children with a, a, a rule, a, a list of rules and standards. And you know what, uh, uh, Ian and Tori and Olivia and William, you need to live your lives within this box. And don't stray outside of the box. This is the brand of religion. This is the name. This is the, these are the rules. Keep the rules. That's not what we're seeking to do. What I long to do, while there, and there, while there are rules and guidelines and things in our, in our lives that we put before our children, what I'm, long, what I'm longing for with my children is that they would be able to look at their parents and be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ living his life through us. And that's what Paul's getting after here. Paul didn't know where he ended and Christ began. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that if any man is Christ's, if any man belongs to Christ, that the Spirit of Christ dwells or lives within that man. In Romans 8 and verse 9, he says it this way, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's a, that's a 100% statement. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ living within you, you've never been born again, and you are not a child of God. It is that simple. Yes, but I'm a Baptist. That doesn't matter. Salvation is not in a Baptist religion. Yes, but, but I, I am a conservative. Or maybe you'd say, but I'm a liberal. I'm very giving. Or maybe we, could, we can define ourselves any which way we want, but the reality is this. No matter how good we may view ourselves to be, if the Spirit of Christ doesn't live within us, then we've never been made alive, and we are yet dead in our sins. And so the point is that Paul is getting after is that we have the living Christ dwelling in us. We have been immersed into Christ, he says it that way. In Galatians 3, he says, For as many of you as have been baptized or immersed into Christ have put on Christ. As Christians, we really don't know where we end and where Christ begins, do we? I mean, as you go through life, I mean, there, are, there are times or moments where you know where you're, you are. Or you know you, right? And I know me. It's called when flesh, when fle- we live a fleshly way, but we know where that came from. That's not Christ. But there are other times when I step to the pulpit to preach a message, I don't feel a great rushing wind. I don't, uh, I don't get a, a cool chill. My hair doesn't stand up on the back of my neck, and I think, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit. Now I can preach. No, there's no special feeling. There's no music happening, you know. We know when the Spirit's present when Pastor Ferguson's preaching because all of a sudden the organ begins to play. If that happens, I'm leaving the building. 
okay? But as you and I walk in the Spirit and we say yes to the Word of God, as we grow through this life, we seek to be the husbands we ought to be and the wives that you ought to be and the parents we ought to be and in the workplace, it's hard to tell sometimes where we end and the Spirit of Christ begins in our lives. Whatever I do in my life by the way of obedience and honor and worship to the Lord is Christ working in me. For me to live is Christ. That's all I know. For to me to live is Christ. When, when, we, when you became a Christian, Christ took up residence in you. He took up residence in you. You were literally immersed into Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says you'd better be careful how you treat a Christian. You ought to be really careful how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ because that is how you are treating Christ. The way you treat one another is the way that you treat Christ. In Matthew 25 and verse 40, Jesus said it this way, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto uh, unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. How should I treat you? How should I respond to you? How should I care for you? How should I love you? One of the things we love about events like today, Easter or Resurrection Sunday or Christmas or holidays, is because we get together as families, don't we? We get together as families. And by getting together, it's a sign of love. It's a sign that we love one another and we care for one another. How do you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is inseparable from his people. The unbelievers in Antioch were correct when they called believers Christians. They called them little Christ. And the truth is simply this. Everybody who puts his faith in Jesus Christ is immersed into Jesus Christ. The second truth I noticed in this passage is that we are baptized or immersed into his death and resurrection. Now, he talks about this in detail in this passage. He wants the believers here to know, you've been made righteous by the Lord. He takes the first five chapters to tell them that truth. But then he says, because you have been made righteous by Christ, because in that you have been immersed into Christ, it ought to make a difference in the way that you live your life. There ought to be a difference. And now he's telling us specifically we are baptized, we're immersed into his death, and we're immersed into his resurrection. You've actually participated in Christ's death with him, and you've actually participated in his resurrection with him. You've experienced, you've tasted it. Look at verse number two. Verse number two. And notice, and I'm going to read several verses here, just parts of them, so you get the overview. But notice that we were baptized or immersed into Christ's death. Look at verse two. He says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Look at verse number three. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized, were immersed into his death? Look at number, verse number four, the beginning part. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Look at verse number five, the beginning part. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, Look at verse number 6, the beginning part. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Look at verse number 7. He says, for he that is dead 
is freed from sin. Beginning of verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ. And look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. I'm going to read down through verse 11, the beginning part. Verse 9 says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, in the same way, he tells us in verse 11, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. This is a truth that's at the heart of this passage. In other words, it's not one that we can just overlook or one that we could say, well, that's kind of hard for me to comprehend, so I'm going to disengage my brain and not think about it. No, there's something glorious that God wants us to know about Jesus' death, and here it is. When he died, when he died, he died for you and for me. And when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, something happened. We died. There was a death. The old man died with Christ because you've been immersed in Christ, because you've been baptized, immersed into the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Christ died, he died in our place. So in effect, his death was for us. It was our death. You see that? When he died, he died in my place, and so in effect, his death was my death. You know, as believers, we talk often about life. You want eternal life, don't you? You want to live in heaven, don't you? Well, before there can ever be eternal life, there has to be a death. I've never talked to somebody about their salvation and said, you want to die, don't you? Have you? No. None of us have said that to anybody, but the reality is this, and we know ourselves, and those of us who are older in life know ourselves pretty well. And we know and we have tasted of our flesh and the wickedness and the vileness that is our flesh. And before we were saved, there was nothing to stop our flesh. There was nothing to hold back our flesh. It was, it had run amok. It was doing whatever it wanted to do and it determined everything that we did. It said, do it, you want it, desire it, chase it down. And that's what we did because we were slaves to sin. But when Jesus Christ died, and you and I believed and put our faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we put our faith and trust in a Savior, not only who lives, but who died. And in that he died, we died. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Christ had never sinned, but he died. He died as a substitute for you, and he died as a substitute for me. The Bible tells us that God showed, he commended his love toward us. He made it obvious to us how much he loved us. And that while we were yet sinners, yet going through the motions of sins, Christ died for us. And so really, Christ's death was our death. God, in fact, counted it as if it were our death. And that's what he says in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ, were immersed into his death. You need to know this. God counted Jesus' death as if it were your death. Christ died in my place. He died in your place. And Jesus died under the full fury and wrath of Almighty God. Christ completely paid the the penalty for our sin, every one of our sins. He died for our sins. And so when a person receives Christ, we are literally immersed into Jesus Christ. We are immersed into his death, Paul says. His death 
Jesus' death was applied to my account. And so, in that Jesus died, the body of sin, verse 6 tells us, was destroyed. No longer do I have to sin anymore. Now, am I tempted? Yes. And by the way, the more that you and me as believers in Jesus Christ try to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the more that we seek to follow the Word of God, you will find that there is a battle that will rage. And you will find that the flesh is still pulling, and the old habits die hard, and the the world in which we live does glitter and gleam, and it has its sense of appeal, but you will find only as you try to follow the Spirit of God you will notice the pull. As long as we don't try to follow the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we just kind of drift along with the stream of this world and our flesh, it just, you hardly don't even notice anything. Just kind of drifting along. But you know what? It's hard to go upstream. It's hard to go against the flesh. It's hard. So, but you need to know that the old man is dead. You don't have to go that way anymore. But not only do we see that we were baptized into Jesus' death, but he makes it very clear in this passage we were also baptized or immersed into Christ's resurrection. And that's what we celebrate today. Look at verse 4. Verses 4 and 5, he says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, just like Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Did Jesus Christ, was it kind of a, kind of, was there anything in question whether or not he was going to be able to overcome death? Was it, was it, you know, I don't know who's going to win here. Is it going to be death or is it going to be God? Was there any doubt? No. There was nothing in doubt. And he tells us in verse 4 that just like Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's... It's going to happen. It's not just possible, but it's going to happen. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is a done deal. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It is a certainty. So we were baptized into Christ's resurrection. You know, the resurrection is not just a historical event, though it is that. It's a spiritual reality. It's not just something we look back on and believe in. It's something in which we are participants. I don't think we think of the resurrection that way. I think we look back and we say, that is wonderful. And we ought to look back and say, that is wonderful. Look what Christ did. Look what God did. But somehow there's this huge chasm, this void between what he did and us, like there's almost no connection. And there is a connection. There's a glorious connection. It's something in which we are a participant. We we died when Christ died because God counted his death, Jesus' death, as if it were our death. And when Jesus arose, God counted his resurrection to be our resurrection because God counted it as if it were ours. The penalty of sin was paid. The justice of God was satisfied. And Christ came out of the grave, having satisfied God's justice against sin 
And that is the reason the Bible says he was raised in Romans chapter 4. He was raised for our justification, which means to declare righteous. God raised him from the dead so that he could declare us to be righteous. You remember he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He died on the cross. He became our sins and he was raised from the dead all so that God could save you and me. Christ died for you. He was buried for you. He, was, he, he died for me. He was buried for me. And he rose for us. He didn't need to die for himself. He had no sin. He didn't need to be buried and to rise again for himself. It was for you and me. He died in our place, and so it was our death, and it was our resurrection. When Christ died, I died. And when Christ arose, I arose. And when he died, my sins were paid for. And when he arose, my new life was guaranteed. And that's the spiritual meaning of the resurrection. And this is an immense truth. And Paul in Romans chapter 6 wants us to understand this, to, to ponder it and to think about it. Because of Christ's resurrection, and only because of his resurrection, can you and I walk in newness of life. And he says that in this passage. Look again at verse 4, the latter part. He says, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Why don't we just say this? Why don't we all just leave this morning and say something like this? Well, I'm a Christian and I'm under grace and God has forgiven me of all my sin and he's going to keep forgiving me until the day I die. So you know what? I'm just going to be careless about how I live my life. If your thing's certain kind of narcotic, just go ahead and indulge. Or if it's alcohol, just go ahead and, you know what, or, you know what, if you, if, you, if you don't like your spouse, you know, who cares what the Bible says? Just live however you want to live. Why don't we just go live like that? Well, it would be terribly destructive and an awful lot of misery and regret. But more than that, the truth is this, and this is, has everything to do with the resurrection because we're not who we used to be. That's why we don't go do that. There's something new inside. Something is drastically different. And it's not that there aren't some old habits that are hard to break. It isn't that the world doesn't have some appeal to every single one of us in this room. The reason we don't go out and live our lives that way is because, for those of us who are born again, there is something different inside of us. And it's called a newness of life. You're not who you used to be anymore. Do you understand this? Have you ever talked to somebody about being saved and they said something like, well, if I become a Christian, I'll have to stop doing everything I like to do. I'll have to start doing everything I don't want to do. I mean, I don't want to... Who wants to live that life? Maybe they might think or say something like, I want to feed my flesh. I want to feed my lust. I want to do what I like to do. I want to do what I think feels good at that moment. I want to fulfill my longings and passions and desires. And if I become a Christian, I'll have to stop all that. Maybe they might say, I'll have to go to church. Or I'll have to pray or read my Bible. Those things that don't interest me at all. You know what? I understand that. But the point is that when you became a Christian, your interests changed. All of a sudden, what used to interest you, you hate. What you 
couldn't get enough of before, you now look at as a slave master. You look at as slavery, and all of a sudden, you hate what you used to hate, you now love, and because you aren't, why? Because you aren't who you used to be anymore. That's called newness of life, and that's what he's talking about at the end of verse 4. There's a transformation. The person, the person who has been baptized or immersed into Christ's resurrection begins to walk differently. They begin to live their life differently. They begin to look at life differently. Their conduct begins to change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that is, immersed into his death, immersed into his resurrection, if any man is in Christ, Paul says this, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And by the way, this doesn't... Salvation is a one-time event that happens at a specific time in history. But sanctification is a process. You and I, who are saved in this room, are in that process. You ever feel like you're going backwards? You ever feel like you're going up and then you're going down? And Life is not a straight line, is it? But you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is faithful with us no matter when we fail him or when we think we're succeeding and pleasing in him. And then we find out later, you know what, I was doing that in my, under my own steam and in the flesh so I could impress other people. It really wasn't for God at all. It looked like it. I was trying to pretend like it was, but it really wasn't at all. You know what he desires for you and for me? Live life every day and fear him and let him work in your life and mold you and shape you into being what God wants you to be. Let him have his way in your life. He won't make any mistakes. He won't let you down. He'll be there to forgive and to comfort and to console along the way. He's there every moment. Say yes to him. Trust him that it's going to be okay. Let him have his way in your life. You see, in Christ we died a real death, and in Christ we have a real new life. In Psalm 40 and verse 3, the Bible says that we sing a new song. In Ezekiel chapter 18, it says that we have a new spirit inside. In Ezekiel 36, we're told that we have a new heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we're a new creation. In Galatians chapter 6, it says that we're a new being. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, it says that we're a new man. Revelation 2 and verse 17 says that we have a new name, a new identity. We're still in this world. We're strangers to it. We're pilgrims in this world. We're just passing through. But as we walk in the light instead of in darkness... He's having his way in our hearts, in our lives. You see, you're not the old person you used to be. You're a new man. Have you received him? Have you been immersed in him? Because if you have, your old man died, and you were made alive. And he says, you're a new creature. You're a new creature. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. So what happened to make such a dramatic change in our lives? So look at verse number 6. The domination of sin, or the slavery to sin, was overthrown. Look at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from now on, we should not serve sin. The old man is who we used to be. There's still a remnant of him. He still smells 
but we're not who we used to be anymore. The Bible says the old man is crucified. Now, the word crucify in Romans means to destroy or to do away with. It's never used in the book of Romans to speak of annihilation or eradication. In other words, when he says, I am crucified, or it says here that we have been crucified, our old man is crucified, it doesn't mean that the old man has been eradicated. There's no remnant, there's no stench, there's no old habits. He doesn't say that. He just says the bondage to the old man has been broken and destroyed. My children like to listen to some stories on CD. And uh, I don't know what's, what, who produced this particular story, but Ian likes to listen to it at like such a decibel level in the basement that I can hear it in the upstairs, okay? And it just goes through all the duck work. It doesn't matter where I am, I get to join in on the story. And uh, one particular story they were listening to had to do with slavery in the United States of America, and it had to do with the underground rail, railroad system railway. And I remember I went down to the basement to tell them to turn it down because I didn't want to hear it because I had other things I was doing. And I got down to the basement and two of my children were like pacing around and they were just pacing around. They hadn't heard the story before and they were overwhelmed with the fact that number one, slavery had ever happened in the United States of America and that who are these people who thought it was a good thing and they were like rooting and cheering for these slaves to to, to escape and to get to the north where they could be freed. Uh, they despised, from the story they were listening to, they despised the idea of, of someone enslaving another one, another person, another human being, and making that person do whatever they wanted them to do. And it's despicable, isn't it? Well, so is it despicable, the old man, the old flesh, enslaving you and me, human beings, in a sense, forcing people to do whatever it is that it wants, sin wants you to do. And it's, such, it's so destructive. It's something we ought to hate. The, and he's telling us here, the old man is crucified. Now, again, not speaking about eradication, not speaking of annihilation. We can't say that since we've become a Christian, we don't sin anymore. Or since, since it, it, sin is still there in our flesh, and as long as we're in this flesh, there's going to be a battle with sin. Paul is saying, though, that when Jesus Christ was crucified in our place, as our substitute, we died, and through death we have been delivered from from the bondage to sin. And that's what he's saying at the end of verse number 6, that henceforth, because of this death that's taken place, we should not serve sin anymore. And so sin no longer has the same effect. Sin no longer has the same strength. Sin no longer has the same domination and dominion. When we died in Christ, sin no longer is our master. We don't have to serve sin anymore because every person who has died in Christ has been freed from sin. Now, let me ask you, have you ever died in Christ? Have you truly received him as your personal Savior? Have you been immersed into him? Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I do not care how religious you are or how disciplined you may be. You are not freed. You've never been delivered from the bondage of sin. And it is no wonder that it is what you live for. You live for the lust of your flesh. You live for these things. And you know it. It's like being chained up 
and you have no freedom. I do not care how religious you are. I do not care how many Bible verses you have memorized. If you do not, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are still in bondage to sin. And you will be held accountable to God, by God, for your sin. But you don't have to be. Because Jesus Christ did die so that our old man could be destroyed. You know, when a slave would die, it was only then that he was free from his master. Sin was our master, and when we died in Christ, we were freed from sin's domination. Now, we haven't been delivered yet from the presence of sin or the possibility to sin. We have that possibility. Someday we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. Someday we'll be delivered from the possibility to sin. But until we go to be with the Lord, we have a choice. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin be the king of your life, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Look at verse 13, the beginning part. Neither yield ye your members, speaking of your human body. Don't yield your, the faculties of your body, whatever it may be, your hands, your feet, your mind, your eyes, your ears. Don't yield the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. I guess I can yield, according to that passage, I can yield my eyes to participate in sin. I can yield my ears to participate in sinful things. My tongue can participate in sinful things. And I love how the Holy Spirit of God gives these words to the Apostle Paul. He doesn't just say, don't yield yourselves, because that would just kind of be generic, you know, you. He says, don't yield any part of you to participate in sin. And, and, and here's the thing. We live in a day where we like to argue for what we can do. Don't we? Well, I, 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 the Bible doesn't say, I, I can do that. I can listen to that. I can go there. I can, I can drink that. I can smoke that. I, I can do that. I, I think when we begin to argue that side of things, I think, I think we're willfully ignorant of how wicked and defiled our flesh really is. And I think we're willfully ignorant of how destructive sin really is. It destroys marriages. Well, I can talk to her that way. We didn't mean anything. We were just, I could talk to him that way. No big deal. I'm still being faithful to my spouse. I can listen to that. It's, you know, I don't know what the beats necessary or the word. You know, I don't mean anything to me. I just, it's just, my culture is just what I do. I don't think we, I don't think we're being honest sometimes about how woefully, terribly wicked and sinful and defiled our flesh is and how destructive it really is. And you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and to give us new life, not so that we could go back and dabble a little bit here and dabble a little bit here and prove to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're strong enough to wade into that part of the current and we can, we can do it. I don't have to do that. I can do this. You know what, believers, let's just stop that. Let's just agree with what the Spirit of God is saying to the Apostle Paul and say, you know what, I don't want to yield any part any part of my body. Because this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. This body is the temple, the dwelling place of the resurrected Christ, holy and just 
and righteous who's living in me, not so that I am just merely saved from death and hell to come from a sinful life and wicked flesh, but He is serving me. The resurrected Christ lives within me to serve me every day, to, to, to go with me through the lows of life and my personal failures and temptation, seasons of temptation, and yet still to help me and to draw me back to Christ and never to leave me or forsake me. Why? Because He loves me. He lives within me to serve me. And I could echo what David said. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I that God would serve me? Who am I that God would be faithful to me? We all could say that. So don't yield your bodies this way. Look at verse number 8 and following. Because of the resurrection, we no longer live to serve sin. We live to serve God. Look at verse 8. He says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. He, he suffered and he bled and he died a terrible death. But he only did it one time. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now that's an amazing verse. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. He took our sins upon him. He died with our sins, for our sins. But in that he liveth and he lives now and forevermore, he always lives unto the praise and glory of God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Live to serve God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. What an amazing passage. So since we're immersed into Christ, we're immersed into his death, we're immersed into his resurrection, we've seen that. The power of sin to dominate us is broken, and now we live in newness of life, and we live in this new life, he says in verse 8, with Christ. And in verse 10, the latter part, he says that Christ liveth unto God. Think about that. Now, Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father, and he lives unto God, but his spirit, the Bible tells us, is living in me. Now, we would all agree that Christ, sitting on the right hand of the Father, is living unto, unto God. He, he seeks to please God there at the right hand of the Father. Wouldn't we, in, in heaven, um, in the throne room of God, Christ certainly there seeks to please God and lives unto God. But let me ask you, do you think that Christ by his Spirit who lives within you, seeks to live unto God. Do you? Do you think that Jesus Christ who lives within you every day of this life that you live and never leaves you nor forsakes you, do you think Jesus Christ living in you seeks to live unto the glory of God the Father, yes or no? He does. You know what, I, you know what the question that comes to my mind when I think about this in my own life personally is? Am I opposing him? Am I opposing him? I mean, Jesus Christ, who died for me because he loves me and who lives for me and was raised from the dead and lives in me, is actively looking and daily living unto God the Father. Am I opposing him? Am I opposing him in my marriage relationship? 
Am I opposing him in what he tells me to do in his word as it pertains to training up my kids? Am I opposing him as a pastor? Am I opposing him as a man? Because he lives within me, and he is seeking to live unto the glory of God the Father. And he wants me, because we're one, he wants me to live with him unto the glory of God the Father. Am I opposing him? Sometimes we look at life and we we say, you know what? We we tend to look at different rules and we say standards, and we say, you know what? I'm I'm not for that standard. I don't agree with that standard. But here, I'm not preaching to you standards today. I'm saying the holy... Lord Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, is living inside of you, going with you every place you go. And he is seeking to live unto the glory of his Father. And he wants you to live for him too. And he's willing to empower you to live for the glory of God the Father. He's willing to help you. He's leading you. He's pulling you. And my question to you is, are you resisting him? Because we can gather and we can say, praise God for the, that Jesus rose from the dead. And thank you, God, that Jesus died for my sins so I don't have to go to hell. Amen. Praise God for those things. But are we really connecting it the way the Holy Spirit connects it? His resurrection took place so that we could live unto the praise and glory of God. That was Paul's fervent prayer for his own life. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience that power in my life. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the Corinthians, he said, follow Christ. Be followers of me, he said, even as I also am of Christ. In Ephesians 5, he said, be therefore followers of God as dear children. You know, before we were saved, we lived, we lived to sin. There was nothing we did that wasn't sin. That's all we pursued. But now we've been baptized into Christ, and the passion of our heart is to live unto God, to honor God, to do His will, to serve Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, to adore Him, and to glorify Him. And if you're in this room, and your pulse is still somewhat uh, working, so you're still you're awake and your, your brain's moving at all, And if you're a child of God, no matter where you are in your walk with God, even if you're, and only you would know this, even if you're living in the world and you've been sowing a lot to the flesh, as I talk to believers this morning about what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he's done for me and that he's living within us and he's seeking to live under the glory and praise of God, even those of us maybe who are living in the world, there's still a part of us that wants to live under the glory of God who wants to, we want to worship him, and we want to love him, and we want to know him, even when we're way over here. And what I'm encouraging you today is this. Say yes to the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not asking you to get back in a box. I'm not asking you to, well, I'm not asking you to come up after the service and say, Pastor Ferguson, do you have a list of standards, that laminated piece of paper, so that I can know how I should live not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you to say, Pastor Ferguson, what shows do you watch besides Andy Griffith so I know what I can watch? I'm not asking to do that. You're not me. And I'm not perfect. What I'm challenging you is, is because Jesus Christ died and that you died, and because he lives so that you you and I can live, I'm saying let him live his life through you. But somewhere along the line, you're going to have to Resist 
the pull. There's going to be a struggle, and you're probably going to be quite miserable for several days and maybe more. As you resist the flesh, and you say, Christ, please have your way in my life. And only you can decide that. I can't make this decision for you. Only you can decide it. I'm going to close there. Before I close, and we have a couple coming for baptism, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? How many of you would say with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, there was a time in my life when I have... I know I've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has saved me from my sin. He saved me from death and hell. I know that I'm a child of God, and I praise God for his salvation. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand that I could see it? It's a testimony to the Lord. I know that I'm a child of God. Thank you. May put your hands down. How many of you would say with, a, with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I couldn't raise my hand. I've tried my whole life. I've been religious. I want to please God, but or maybe you'd say, Seth, I, I've never cared to please God. I, religion or no religion, I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. But Pastor Ferguson, I would like to, I need Christ to save me. I need him to save me. And today I know that he died for me 2,000 years ago and he rose again to live in me, to save me. And I want him to save me. Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that in this room this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? No one looking around. To believers, then I speak for just a moment. How many of you say with uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, the Spirit of God convicted me today. I, I rejoice so much in my Savior and his death for me and his resurrection. Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me because I want, I want to yield my, my members, my body, as instruments to the Lord Jesus Christ, my resurrected Savior who lives within me, that I might live unto God. I want to live my life for the Lord. And I see the way to do that, the only way to do that, is by yielding to Jesus Christ who lives within me. If that's you, and God moved in your heart and revealed these truths to you this morning and convicted your heart, and you'd like me to pray with you about this, would you raise your hand that I could see it in this room? Good number of hands. Thank you. You may put them down. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for these who have asked me to pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would bind the power of the evil one in their lives. Lord, there is no doubt Flesh. flesh is dead, but well, he seems awfully strong. He's so wicked and vile. The world seems so alluring. Lord, but we just don't want to be religious. We don't just want to develop disciplines, though those are good. We don't just want to go through the motions of church. Father, we truly want you as our God to have your way in our lives. And you loved us and you sacrificed and you gave that we might have life. And Lord, we want you to have your way in our lives to the fullest. Lord, may the characteristic, the primary char- characteristic of Trinity Baptist Church be they are a people 
who consistently yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, Christ in us. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Take your hymnals, if you wouldn't, please stand. 476, 476.